The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Please take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And these verses come to us today in the same authority as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have God speaking directly to us from his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's stand in honor of of reading of the word of Christ directly to us. Let's stand and we'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you, and you are that temple. You may be seated. I have a love, hate would be too strong of a word. I have a love and annoying relationship with BuzzFeed familiar with these videos, go all over Twitter, Facebook, very popular website, has tons of videos and tons of blogs with uh, things like this. Uh, You are eating this banana wrong. You've been eating a banana wrong for 20 years. Here's how you're really supposed to eat a banana. And it has like all these diagrams, the best way to cut it. Here's where you should begin to bite an apple. Don't bite an apple from this side. Actually, if you bite an apple from this side, blah, 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 all these kinds of crazy things. And also there's this one, I, I couldn't believe it. They tried to really, they're selling you on how a thousand different ways you can use a rubber band to change your life. Like it's just a rubber band. You can get a thousand of them for 99 cents at Office Max. But they're selling you that this rubber band's life-changing. Here are the amazing ways that you can do it. What's incredible is that that post will have like two million Facebook likes. So people are actually reading it and going, I like this. 
this rubber band's changing my life. There's a new way to do this or a new way to do that. And we click, you'll never believe this lady poured vinegar into a glass. See what happens next. And like, people <laughs> click on it and go, oh, yeah, I guess I got to know. And they go, look. We click, we watch, we try, and then another Pinterest recipe fails and we move on. <laughs> but there's something that's really interesting about that, why that happens. Because we really are looking for new ways to do things and, and new insights and how can I really redeem this rubber band for amazing purposes? Or We're looking for new ways to, to live this life. There's something to that. And that's exactly what Paul is laying out in 1 Corinthians 3. There really is a new way to be human. Paul's laying out in 1 Corinthians, and I think in the entire New Testament, we see this concept, and that there really is a new way to be human. God is offering you and me a new way to live, a new way to operate, truly a new life, where we are not rooted to our past, where we can become brand new people. In Christ, if we have believed in him, if you've been united to him in his death, you died for your sins and you've been united with him in his resurrection where he rose again from the dead for you. We become new people. As Paul says in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. This is becoming a Christian. We are baptized not into just water, but into the death of Christ. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Guys, the resurrection isn't just the message that Jesus has defeated sin and death. And it is that. It definitely is that. But the resurrection is also a model, a, a living parable for you and me, what new life looks like. When we see the resurrected Christ, we aren't just seeing him defeating death. We are seeing him show us and us show the world, here's what resurrection looks like. This is what newness of life looks like because we have died with Christ and we've been raised with him into newness of life. And I love 2 Corinthians 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I love the wide open angle that Paul gives. Anyone, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your family lineage, doesn't matter what sins you've done or what you haven't done. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a brand new person in Christ. Newness of life, new creation, new way to be human. I want to live like that. And I suspect you do too. Hopefully that's why you're here. To be a part of a local church isn't just to say, yeah, I'd like to gather and hear some mediocre teaching and sing some songs together. But that's not what this is about. It's gathering together as people who are claiming, I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Jesus, and I have been raised to new life with Jesus, and now I am a new creation in Jesus. And so we gather together to worship Jesus and to learn from Jesus and to help each other and encourage one another to live as new creations in Jesus, who are anyone in Christ. We are now new creations. And this is exactly what isn't happening at Corinth. They're not living this new way to be human. This is a tragic misstep in this church. Jesus gives them this new way to live, and yet they're just being merely human. Look at the end of verse 3. I love these phrases from Paul at the end of verse 3. Look at what he says. It's 3.3. 3. For you are still the flesh. That's not good. For what kind? What, what ways? Jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh? And look at what he says. And behaving only in a human way. You're behaving like a human. This isn't good. <laughs> This is like, this is one of the times where you're like, no, I don't want you to act like a human. 
This is not enough. Look what he says in, in verse 4. For one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. So they're having this contention between loving teachers more than loving each other and yada, yada. We talked about this already. And now look what he says. You're saying these, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? You need to act, you need to act and behave beyond human. I love these phrases, only human, merely human. Why? Because we are called to live a supernatural life in Christ. We live beyond standard, garden variety, human ways. We are to live beyond human. A new humanity, a new creation, a new life in Christ. When he rose from the dead, what Jesus of Nazareth is doing, he's showing us what the glorified man looks like. He's showing us what eternity looks like. And the real Christian life isn't just a moral life. It's demonstrating to the world what the resurrection looks like. When we forgive and love each other, when we agree with one another and we love and serve each other, we aren't just showing, oh, that's what good Christians do. We're showing the world, here's what resurrected people look like. Here's what a new life looks like. This is why when Paul says, you're just being merely human. You're just acting like humans. That's not enough. You're called to live a new spiritual, supernatural life in Christ. And that's why Paul tells them in the beginning of verse 3, you guys are still like babies in Christ. So how do we live this supernatural life? How do, how do we live a new way to be human? Number one, we, we got to grow up. Growing up is key. Look at, look at verse one. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people. He's talking about when he first encountered them. In Acts 18, you can see when he's playing in the church at Corinth. And he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. Look at the ways he speaks for them. But it's people of the flesh. And they became infants in Christ. Did you hear anything corrective there? Any, any, any rebuke? Any No. He's not calling it anything out. He's reminding them, when I first came to you, you, you were not really spiritual people, and you became infants in Christ. You, you were babies in the Lord. That, that's normal. This is good. And if you're a new Christian, I know we have new Christians here. It's been a couple of years. Don't, don't feel bad. Don't, don't feel disappointed or ashamed. I'm a baby Christian. No, that, this, this is a biblical term. This is a reality. This is the way we function. This is the way we grow. This is absolutely normal. We all go through this. Verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Did you hear anything corrective there? Any rebuke? No. Not abnormal. You can't give steak to a newborn. One, it's a waste. And two, they just, they just gum it. They don't have any teeth. They can't get after it. And it'll actually harm them if you give it to them. And the same is in the beginning of the Christian life. It's not, it's not that some parts of the Bible need to be roped off. And, Whoa, don't let them read that. They're not ready. That's not, it's not like you have to be this tall to ride and read this part of the Bible. That, that's not how it operates. But there's a priority of things. Like in, for a new Christian, for example. Is it more vital for a new Christian to learn how to pray or to understand the extent of the atonement debates? For the infant in Christ, do they, they need to be taught about their identity in Christ and how they're made new and how they're forgiven and how they're loved and how they're redeemed? Or they need a, do they need a robust discussion of dispensationalism versus covenant theology? Do they need to understand all the intricacies between infralapsarian and superlapsarianism? Same thing. I, I don't even know words you're saying. Are you speaking English? I mean, what are you talking about? Exactly. There is a priority of things. Now, all of those things that I mentioned, they are all important. They all matter because they're all in the Bible. So everything in the Bible matters. 
But there is an order of things. And Paul will say so himself in 1 Corinthians 15 of what is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins and rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Now let's, let's keep reading verse 2 and 3. So I fed you solid food for you were not ready for it. Nothing corrective. And now. And even now you are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh. Now do you hear the rebuke? Now it comes in, hey, when I first met you, you guys were babies, infants in Christ, and I couldn't give you solid food, but even now you are still not yet ready for it. You haven't grown up yet. You are still babies, Paul tells them. And this is a very cutting the legs underneath the Corinthians' pride because they think they are great. They think they have it all together. They think they know it all. They think they know more than Paul. And Paul says, guys, you are still babies. And this isn't a matter of intelligence. It's actually a matter of character and living out the Christian life. Because what does he say? Why are they still babies? Verse 3. You're still of the flesh. You're still acting in that old sinful nature. How? For there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? He's saying you have these divisions and this quarreling, this complaining and this bickering and this grumbling. Paul says this is not maturity. You are babies in Christ. Paul says you're like, you look like the Chick-fil-A play place. A bunch of whining fighting, bickering kids who's going to go down the slide first. This is not to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how long? What's the timeline here? What's the timeline from when he planted the church? Has it been like a month? And he thinks, you guys are still babies. Has it just been a month? That would be like really harsh. Like, man, it's only been like 30 days. I, sorry, I don't understand infralapsarianism yet. I mean, I'm trying. but I, No, it's, it's been five years. Acts 18, planted the church to the letter coming to the church at Corinth. It's been about five years. And Paul looks at them and says, you guys, you're still in spiritual diapers. You're older, but you're like big old baby Huey. And if you don't know who baby Huey is, you're really young. Even I know who baby Huey is. (laughs) You're just a big old baby. He's telling them they need to grow up. They need to confess their sin. They need to repent of their sin. They need to look to Jesus and grow up. And, you know, it's been about five years since I became the lead pastor of Redeemer. And I'm thrilled to look out among many of those who have been here for those five years and many of you who are here and have been here for a while that I can confidently look at you and say, you know what, you're, you're not a baby anymore. Like, you really have grown. You've changed. When I first met you, you really didn't care about the Bible. You really didn't care that much about Jesus. But now you love him, and now you care for him, and now you love your family well, and, and you love to read his word, and you're serving, and you're walking in spiritual gifts, and you have a passion for Christ, and it's, you've changed, and it's awesome. People doing things in the church that I thought, I bet that person's just, I don't know what's wrong. I don't think they understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And yet, they're being used in powerful ways. But, and there's also bad news, too. There's others I would tell you, you're kind of like Benjamin Button. I think you've gone backwards. I think you've become more baby-like, more infantile since I've met you. You're not changing. You're actually going backwards. And so we all need to ask ourselves, am I growing in Christ? Am I actually changing? In the Bible, God is constantly using metaphors and, and word pictures for us to learn from. Proverbs, look at the ant, you slugger. Look at how they work. Look at the birds, how God feeds them. Jesus says. Look at the steam, Ecclesiastes. That's like life. Steam, a cup of coffee, boom, gone. 
Babies are one thing God wants us to learn from. And I hope when you read verses like this, your infants gave you milk, you can handle solid food. I hope you're growing in your knowledge of the Bible that when you hear a verse like this, you're immediately drawn to all the other passages in Scripture where you're hearing these things happen. Where the Bible talks about being a baby. First Peter. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. That's a command. Not a suggestion, it's a command. Like, long for, desire the word. Why? That by it you may grow up into salvation. That's good. It's a good example of why you should be like a baby. Run to the Bible. Run. Like they run to the bottle, you run to the Bible. Oliver, yesterday, he's 15 months old. I have never seen him move this fast in my whole life. He was in our room and we're playing and Natalie comes in with his bottle and he stood up through the pass, he threw any toys he had, and just those little feet were just, just running down the hall, and we're cracking up because he was hauling it. He was booking it down to go get his bottle. And this verse pops into my head. It's exactly what Peter's talking about. So how often are we booking it to the, to the book? Going to the Bible. How often are we experiencing a non-reluctant reading of God's word? How often are we having a non-hurried, enjoyable drinking of the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into salvation? I think a lot of people remain babies in Christ because they're malnourished. They don't feed themselves. You get fed once a week if you're, if you're good at just coming to church. But then your soul growls for more of Christ and his word throughout the week and you don't do anything about it. You, you stuff it with TV and hobbies and sin and sleep. It's no wonder you have spiritual developmental problems. Now we should learn from the positive attributes of, of children and long for that pure spiritual milk of the word. And also the negatives, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, for the, by this time you ought to be teachers. Yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, so lives on it, like still need the milk. You drink milk today, it's great, it's fine, but you don't, if you don't drink that milk, you're not gonna whine and cry in the corner. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Why? Since he's a child. Very similar sentiment to 1 Corinthians. You're still on the bottle. You're still on the beginning stages. We don't move beyond them, but we add on to them. So we don't move beyond the gospel. We don't move beyond the Bible. Instead, we're adding on. We're getting more and more and more. We live on more than milk. And eventually, you just have to eat the salad. You just have to, you got to do it. Oh, I don't really like, you got to, you just like, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go. You got to eat the salad. You got to eat the green stuff. I'll never forget the first time we gave Ivy salad. Do you remember that? It's horrible, wasn't it? It was probably a scarring experience. And we made her do it twice because we didn't have our cameras ready. So we got to like go get the camera. We got to take a picture. But as her, par- as her parents, it's our job to make sure she gets the nourishment she needs. That's why she eats broccoli. And even though we don't eat broccoli, she's eating broccoli. We'll have pizza after she goes to bed and we'll give her broccoli. She's got to get nourishment. I'm grown. It's over. I can take a vitamin. And she can't just eat chicken fingers her whole life. 
There's an article recently going about about a generation of kids who are such picky eaters and their parents aren't pushing them and changing them that they're growing up eating nothing almost except chicken fingers. And I remember being like this as a kid. All I ate was chicken fingers. Anytime I went out to eat with my parents, chicken fingers. No one had to wonder, what's, what's Jeffrey going to get? He's getting chicken fingers. <laughs> Italian place, chicken fingers. <laughs> Steak place, kookaburra chicken fingers, please, from Outback. Chinese place, chicken fingers. Sorry, we don't have chicken fingers. Sweet and sour chicken, hold the sweet and sour sauce. You know, it was always chicken fingers. And, and as a little kid, it's not that horrible. It's not that horrible. But as an adult, it's messed up. Imagine, you know, our anniversary's coming up. Imagine we're at, out at a nice anniversary dinner. Spouse orders nice surf and turf, perfect grilled shrimp, amazing risotto, uh, some, some green beans that are, you know, not too gross, but cooked in bacon <laughs> drippings, um, beautiful medium rare filet mignon. Your spouse orders all that. And you're like, wow, that, looks, that sounds amazing. Waiter comes to you, what would you like? And you go, look, I know it's on the kid's menu, but I want the chicken fingers. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> like, you have an issue. I think a big problem in the Bible Belt is that we have a bunch of chicken finger-only Christians. They're not growing up. Don't be a chicken finger-only Christian. Sometimes I'll get emails and I'll get texts and things like, hey, I'm trying to grow. What, uh, what devotional book should I read? What, you know, what song should I listen to? I'm like, no, no, no. You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. All of the Bible. Don't be a stunted believer. Live in the Word and grow in the Word. Growing up entails growing out of your selfishness and getting over yourself. This is exactly what Paul's saying. Is you are still babies because, verse 3, for you have still jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh when you behave only in a human way? Jealousy and strife, these are trademarks of children. When mommy is petting the dog and the baby cries all of a sudden, nothing's happened. Why? He's jealous. When mommy's holding another baby and the toddler whines, <laughs> so it's getting bad, all that kind of silly stuff. Why? He's jealous. When you're jealous of another Christian, you find that you can't rejoice with those who rejoice. When you're, je- when you're jealous of an unbeliever, and that might be one of the saddest things in the Christian life, to be jealous of an unbeliever who has no hope in this world. And yet you sit as a co-heir with Christ. I mean, Venus belongs to you because it belongs to Christ. That's why jealousy should not exist in the church. You're acting like a baby. Mere humanity. And strife is just classic contention and conflict, just always just fighting and quarreling about anything. And now, in a sense, conflict is normal because we are human, so it's going to happen. But in another sense, conflict should be abnormal and that it doesn't sit, it doesn't take root, it it doesn't happen. It should be irregular. Listen, if you are someone who is perpetually at odds with people, waiter, barista, family member, boss, co I don't care who it is, if you are perpetually at odds with someone, constantly offended, you're constantly questioning people's motives, you find yourself complaining about other people often, here's what the Bible says you need to do. Grow up. Just stop it and grow up. You are still a baby. Get over yourself. Stop behaving like a baby. That's exactly what Paul's saying. You're still a baby. Grow up. And he doesn't even get all, okay, let's talk about the sin beneath the sin. Let's, let's talk about what's the heart idols and the heart motivation. He's not doing any of that. Because you can't do that with a spiritual baby. It's, hey, stop that. You're going to hurt yourself. 
I can't explain to Oliver. Here's, let me tell you all the reasons why it's unwise for you to throw that Lincoln log into the fire. Okay, point number one. You can't do that. You just go, hey, stop. Don't do that. that that's not safe. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't, don't do that. You're acting. So Paul's just saying, he's going to get into heart idols and all that stuff later. But right now, he's just telling him, look, stop acting like you're on toddlers and tiaras. Like, this, this cannot be. That's how you talk with spiritual babies. And when we're acting like spiritual babies in our flesh, we can't understand what's going on in the sin beneath the sin. We can't understand our heart idols and motivations. We need to get there, but the first message needs to be, you need to stop. That's sinful. And now let's talk about why this is happening. Because there's jealousy and strife among you. Because you have these other sins. So their babiness, that sin, is because of the jealousy and strife. So there's an order of even how we address these things. So are you growing in Christ? Not just in knowledge of the word. That's important, but that's so easy. It's so easy to learn a couple of verses and do nothing with them. The point is, are you growing and are you becoming skilled in the word of righteousness, as Hebrews says? That your life is changing. You're seeing less jealousy and more rejoicing. Less strife and more unity. You have a le- you're less easily offended and more looking over offenses. There's less of you and more of Christ. Another way to ask it would be, what about my life is supernatural? And the only difference between me and my coworkers is that maybe I don't sound exactly like them, and maybe I, I don't drink as much as they do, um, and I go to church on Sunday. If that is the only, I mean, are there supernatural versus natural differences between your life and theirs? That these, these things in my life that I do, these things in my life that I don't do, they are explainable because there is a Galilean that rose from the dead. Or is my moralism just a coincidence? What about your life is supernatural because Jesus is Lord? Church, a major part of living this new life in Christ is that we're growing up, we're, we're going out of our selfishness, we're going out of our infantile nature, and a part of that also means that we're growing together by God's word. When we see that we're meant to be growing together, there won't be, we won't even tolerate jealousy and, and strife. Those things go out the window because look at verse 5. So the big issue in Corinth has, that he's addressing so far, one of the big issues is this fight between Paul, the guy saying, I follow Paul, and guy saying, well, I follow Apollos. So he says in verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So they're fighting about all these different leaders and, and who they should follow and who's better and yada, yada, yada. But so Paul is like, here's how you should view spiritual leaders. And here's how you should view the church. Here's one thing we're learning about Paul, how we should view pastors, teachers, leaders. They're nothing. I'm nothing. I heard one pastor say, here's the, here's the role of the pastor. Imagine, here's your significance. Put your, hand, put your hand in a bucket of water. There you are. Take your hand out. What happens? No one's crying over the hole. Oh, there's a big vacancy now. No, it fills back up. You're insignificant. You're nothing. That's what he says in verse 7. So neither he who plants and he who waters is anything. I'm not anything. But God who gives the growth. So Paul's humbling himself, modeling for them, here's how we should view ourselves. Humbled before the cross. This is supernatural. He's not seeking the spotlight. While they're bickering and fighting, he says, look, I'm nothing. God's of most importance. 
in the scheme of the universe, pastors, teachers, shepherds, we're just hammers, shovels, and rakes. We're just servants. So what happens when your rake breaks? I don't use a rake, but I imagine people do. (laughs) And they use tools like that. I've broken one before. I didn't fall to my knees. Why? Why my rake, my favorite rake of all? What shall I do with the... You know, that none of that's happening. You just go to Lowe's and you get a new rake. Or you get a lawn guy. Either one. I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're just servants. They're just tools in the hands of God. Now look at what he says in verse 5. What is Paul? What is Apollos? Servants through whom you believe. So that's important. But look at the next phrase. As the Lord assigned to each. Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. So think about this. The person, if you're a Christian today, the person that led you to Christ, God assigned that. As the Lord assigned to each. That person that preached the gospel to you, that person that evangelized you, that preacher that you heard, I mean, the Lord assigned it. He gets the glory. He's at work. It's not anything in the preacher. It's not anything in his style or what he said. It's that the Lord is at work. And you being here right now, God assigned it. Verse 6, I planted, Paul says, in Apollos water, but God gave the growth. God uses a variety of influences in our lives, and they're all to be celebrated, not pitted against each other. God uses this preacher and that book and all of us. That's why there shouldn't be jealousy or, or strife or, or fighting about all these different guys, but uniting together. Like, you could probably spend a good while thinking about all the influences that God has used in your life up to this point. I think about in high school, I was a complete, like, least cool kid in the world and didn't go on any dates. I went to one dance and I didn't even see my dance there, the, the date. Um, look at me now. Beautiful wife and great kids. But then all I did was read the Bible. I just had a John MacArthur study Bible, and that's what I did. And played Goldeneye. I did that too. I'm thinking of John MacArthur, that influence. And then, then Pastor Caldwell, the pastor I had when I was growing up. And then this band named Shane and Shane and these amazing songs that they had about scripture. And then I heard about this guy who was a sophomore in high school named Matt Chandler. And then I got introduced to John Piper. And then I got introduced to Charles Spurgeon. And then John Owen. And then someone showed me this book by Jared Wilson. And then Ray Ortland, And then Russell Moore. So I mean, all of these influences are coming together. And I don't have to pick which one I like the most. I don't have to be offended when someone says, eh, I don't know, I'm not really a John Owen guy. I'm like, wait. Because usually what happens when someone says, I don't like that, we take personal offense. This is what's happening in Corinth. Someone says, I know, I don't really like Paul's uh, conclusion last time he was here. How dare you? I love Paul's conclusion. You know, that happens a ton. Because we're brand loyal people. This is mere human living. I've actually heard Christian men have a actual disagreement, like, like a heated disagreement over Ford versus Chevy. Like, you guys grow up. I mean, this is ridiculous. V6, sprocket, volume fluid, well, whatever, going on, I don't care. I think, like, people argue about, oh, no, Mac or Mac or PC. I mean, now, that's legitimate. That is a <laughs> legit issue. But listen, when, when it comes to Christianity, there's only one brand loyalty that matters. It's verse 10. 
There is only one foundation that has been laid, and no one can lay any other one except Jesus Christ. This is all that matters. This is the brand loyalty. We're all deaf. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. It's all Jesus. That's why Paul says we're nothing. It's all, he's the foundation. Paul's like, yes, I planted the church of Corinth, but Jesus is what I planted. He's the foundation. We are nothing. He's the one who died for our sins and rose again. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who is Lord of all. He's the one in whom we grow together. Now, I grew up in the Southern Baptist denomination. I'm, I'm grateful for them, and I'm, I get to work a lot with the SBC now, and I'm, I'm grateful for my friends in the Southern Baptist Convention. But I remember being a kid in the SBC church and thinking that if people weren't Baptist, they were weird. <coughs> Did anyone else experience that? That if people weren't whatever denomination you were or whatever kind of church you were, that, ooh, I bet they're strange. Like, they were suspect to me. Like, are they really saved? Like, if they don't wear suits, their leaders don't wear suits, ooh. You know? And like, oh, they don't use the elect standard version, ESV? I bet they're strange. Like, what's, what's going on? And listen, no one had to teach. That wasn't taught. That wasn't like at our member meetings, Grub. Now, remember everybody, we voted on the carpet. And now also, if people aren't Baptist, they're strange to you, okay? Go in peace. You know, that didn't happen. It wasn't taught. It was just caught. And that's Corinth. I'm of SBC. And may that never be at this church, ever. It's sinful, satanic. No, I'm of Acts 29. What do you mean they're not? Ugh. I don't know if that church is solid. There are great churches in Tomball and Greater Houston that are not of Acts 29. Tomball Bible is one of them. Houston Northwest. Oh, these are amazing men of God in great churches. No, I'm of Redeemer Church. They're of XYZ. Oh, gosh. Paul's telling them, no, don't glory in us. Don't glory in men. Don't pit us against each other. This is mere humanness. This is mere human ways of living. Because the verses 7 and 8, God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters were one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And I love at the end of verse 7, but only God gives the growth. That is a church growth conference in one verse. God gives the growth. Now, give me $200. Let's give you a whole booklet, 500-page booklet on how to grow a church. God grows the church. That's it. I remember what David Platt said recently. Now he's the president of Southern Baptist Convention's IMB, International Mission Board, biggest missions organization on the planet. He said, in our churches, what we need is more than a streamlined strategy or a simplified structure. We need the power of God to do what only he can do. He grows. He gives it. And look at what he says now in verse nine. As he talks about, here's how you should view leaders. Now he transitions to Corinth. Here's how you should view yourself. Here's how you should view the church. Look at verse nine. We are God's fellow workers. And now look, you are God's field. God's building. Skip down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That the spirit of God dwells in you? Now these yous are y'alls. These are plural. Like we got our, our American individual individualism really hampers our Bible reading. Like this letter was not written to a guy named First Corinth. It's written to the whole church. He's speaking to the whole church. Only a handful of books of the Bible are written to individual people. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, that's it. And then those would be shared with others. But this is to the whole church so that you, you are God's field. He's speaking to the whole church of Corinth. Guys, all of you, you are God's field. 
Imagine a field fighting with each other. No, they work together for the crop. You're God's building. What would happen if a building, if this wall started fighting against this wall? This doesn't happen. They work together. They hold up the structure together. You're God's temple. And I love that he says, and you are holy. So even in the midst of all their baggage and all their fighting and all their strife, he still tells them, but you are holy. And the spirit of God dwells in you. You're God's. Guys, you are God's. This isn't my church. This is my church as much as it's your church. I'm here. I'm a member. I'm here. This is God's field. This is God's building. This is God's temple. The people, us. You and I are more the building than the building is the building. You're God's field. You're God's building. You're God's temple. Jesus bought you with his blood. And he bought the person next to you with his blood. The person you're jealous of and stri- you have strife and calm. He bought them with his blood. That's why we're all unified in the cross. And when you begin to understand who you are more, God's field, God's building, God's temple, and who your brothers and sisters are in Christ, it changes the way we treat each other. Just because one plants, one waters, God gives the growth in the church. God gives the growth. And I love in verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, so we do all of our ministry by grace. Paul didn't say, according to my skill, according to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, so like this nice architect who's working hard, I laid a foundation, and that foundation of Christ, and someone else is building upon it. So someone else is working on it now. And let each one take care of how he builds upon it. So it makes me think of our church. Most of you, the majority of you, became Christians at some, somewhere else. Another church. Some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. So I'm going to go ahead and assume you became a Christian somewhere else. Some people did become Christians here. The foundation for them was laid here. And so someone else planted, and by God's grace given to me and to Pastor Barry and Pastor Kevin, we now get to teach you. We now get to build upon it what was laid. That's why, like, so I don't have, you don't, you don't have to go, well, I, I mean, Jeff's okay, but I remember what Pastor, you know, XYZ said. Eh, that, that doesn't have to, ha- like, there's no, like, pitting. If I'm wrong, shoot, I'm wrong. Totally. Tell me I'm wrong. But there, there's, there's not this pitting of, oh, I like this guy better. I like no, one plants, one waters, and we're both nothing. By God's grace, I get to now just teach you God's word. And some of you move on and you go to other places and other people get to teach you God's word. All these influences that God brings in our life to grow you in Christ. And uh, this is terrifying to me. Look at the end of verse 10. So let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Well, why? What? So now he's really speaking to disciple makers. You disciple people. You teach people the Bible. He's speaking to you, speaking to me. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the base. This is everything. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, this judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, though he himself will be saved. He's not losing salvation. He's just losing his, the fruit of his ministry, his work, his labors. He's saved through the fire. This is terrifying to me. 
I have a terrifying job, task, every week. I'm supposed to accurately present to you God, who God is, what God is like, what God has done from God's word on the authority of God. I'm not terrified what you think about me. That that is not, it used to bother me, it doesn't bother me anymore. I'm not terrified whether or not you like my sermons. I hope they're biblical. If you don't like it, okay, sorry. It's near irrelevant. I'm, I'm terrified of dishonoring Christ and misrepresenting him and abusing God's word. Like, th- those things terrify me. And there are days where you go, man, yeah, that sermon was, I was, got a couple of cracks and a couple, man, that was, that was great, thanks. But did I really show the glory of Christ? Did I show God in his holiness? On those days where it's really heavy, like, man, I used to deliver flowers. That's really easy. No one's eternity is on the line of whether or not the flowers got there on time. But I mess something up, I misconstrue something. People's eternity. They could be under this false teaching for years. This is why the book of James says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you will be held to a stricter judgment. I will be judged. Not for salvation. That all of us, we will all be judged. We were judged for salvation at the cross. Jesus, so we're not going to have this. I heard this always growing up. We're all going to stand. There's going to be this big screen, and all of your sins are going to play before it. That's not going to happen. That happened at the cross on Christ. What will happen, though, is that our good works, our works will be assessed. And that's why, we, like, the word judge, we think it's very negative. It just means assess. They will be assessed. They'll be counted. They will be weighed. And did I build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw? Are we after these precious things, the things of eternity, or the things that are here today and then gone tomorrow? What are we to build? Gold, hay? Silver? Straw? And I immediately think of three little pigs. <laughs> Instantly. What, what's going to last? This is, this is the same. The, the gold, silver, these, are, these precious stones, they last forever. They don't deteriorate. They're, they're going to hold into eternity. And so Paul's image here is that are we pursuing and are we trying to do things in our church and in our lives and in each other's life that's just wood, hay, and straw. It's going to get burned up at the end and show it. It's nothing. And I think a lot of churches are going to be shocked at the end when they just, all this wood, hay, straw, nothing. And this little church over here that no one ever cared about, no one heard of, down there in the Fiji Islands, gold, silver, precious stones. God's not impressed with our gimmicks and our fads. Are we laboring for more straw or gold? What are we giving in each other's life? What are we helping each other with? As N.T. Wright asked in in one of his books, are we encouraging and enabling people to worship the true and living God and holiness and in truth? What are we after? What do we really want? What are we giving each other as God's field, as God's building? Are we building hay into each other's lives or precious stones? Are we helping each other build our lives on Christ or on the sand? Or do you just want to live in a mere human way? Are you laboring for what's eternal or what's just temporary? Let's go after more than merely human ways. Growing up together, growing out of our selfishness together, getting over ourselves together. And let's go after that living, living that new way to be human, that new life in Christ. For do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you. 
Right now, you sit here with the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of you. This is why it's tragic for you and I to just be merely human. We have the Holy Spirit of Christ for the life that we now live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. Christ who lives in me. So let's live that new life in Christ together because there is a new way for you and I to be human. Let's pray. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to, to come forward. Lord, now, would you help us? Would you help us to cast off the ways that we are being, being merely human, that we are thinking and, and operating in just in plain human terms and ways and would you help us to pursue what, is, pursue what is supernatural? To pursue what is of utmost importance. To be skilled in the word of righteousness. To long for that pure spiritual milk by which we may grow up into salvation. And would you help us to cast off and to, and to kill the sins in our life that are just mere human ways. Not the ways of Christ. Not new creations in Christ. And would you help us to grow up together as God's field and and God's building and God's temple, living the new and resurrected life together, pursuing Christ. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.